Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Before we jump into today's episode, who remembers episode 40 with realtor Tyler Kuhn of Savvy Realty in the North Carolina market? We talked about how to find the perfect market for your short-term rental. And we also talked about why it's important to work with realtors who understand the short-term rental industry and are co-hosts and hosts themselves when you're making your STR purchase. This team knows what it takes to turn a simple property purchase into a big investment without wasting time or resources along the way. So if you are just trying to flip a house, rent out your home, or turn a brand new property into a profitable business, Savvy Realty is the team to help you do it. Tyler and the team are going to look at more than just the specs of the home and number of bedrooms and bathrooms, but is this a property that is likely to get booked by guests? How's it going to do? How are reviews going to be? What's the regulation about short-term rentals in the area? Is there an HOA or CCNRs to look out for? Truly, with a purchase this big, you just want to make sure that you have the experts there holding your hand along the way. Follow the link in the show notes to book a call with a Savvy Realty agent today so that you know your next STR purchase is backed by a realtor who is a host themselves and knows what to look for. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer, and today I have Noble Crawford on If anybody was at STR WealthCon, you would recognize him. He was on the midterm strategies panel, and he turned that panel into his own keynote and started dropping so much good information about flight attendant crash pads and what he's doing to with his midterm rental strategy and specifically targeting that to people in the airline industry close to airports. And I thought that was so interesting. As soon as he wrapped up, I ran up to him and I said, you have to come on the podcast. Like, let's get this conversation going. And I think this is such an interesting strategy. I did tell Noble, I just talked to one of my best friends, Allison, who's a flight attendant and picked her brain because she's done crash pads before. And I wanted to know what she looks for. So, Noble, I've got a lot of questions for you today on how you're doing this. But first of all, do you want to give everybody an introduction to yourself, quick overview of your short-term rental journey and and how you got to this really cool strategy? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, Natalie, thank you so much uh, for having me on. Uh, Absolute pleasure. So, my name is Noble Crawford. You know, I'm the co-founder along with my wife of a hospitality brand based in Texas. We've been in the space for just a little over six years now. And uh, have since grown a, a portfolio of owned and, and, and leased assets in the space. And uh, we uh, do direct bookings, a uh, significant amount of those. And, you know, one of our newest verticals, is, as Dally mentioned, is in, the, uh, is in the airline space. And so super happy to jump on here and uh, get into it. Okay, sweet. Let's do it. How long have you been doing short-term rentals and in this industry? Yeah, so we started in 2017. Okay. So, uh, so we're about six years in. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. Okay, cool. And I know you also you also do some like government contracts and stuff like that too. 
Okay, maybe we'll have a different episode talking about that because that's another thing I have no idea about. But for today, let's talk airline and how you're targeting pilots and flight attendants and all of that. So do you want to kind of break down for us an overview of how these midterm contracts work in the airline industry? Are you listing on Airbnb? Are there special sites for this? Are you in Facebook groups where flight attendants are? Right. Excellent question. So let me start off. I'll give you a little bit of context of okay. how, how we fell into this specific vertical. So as you mentioned, like we do a number of verticals, government's one. Um, corporate, healthcare, higher education, other things, right? But this particular one, you know, the reason I'm so excited about it is um, it was by accident that we kind of stumbled into this, right? So my uh, my cousin, he got on with Southwest Airlines, he got hired on by Southwest Airlines. And he is from Tampa. He lives in Tampa full time. But when he got hired on, they stationed him in the at the Dallas location, right? And so, uh, so obviously it wasn't his permanent, you know, city of residence, and so after he completed his training and everything, he said, you know, hey, cuz I'm I'm here in Dallas now for a while. And I was like, well, where are you staying? And he's like, oh, we're in this shared housing, you know, crash pad. And I was like, really? You know, being a short-term rental person, you know, I'm obviously that intrigues me up. So I'm like, you know, tell me more. So he like breaks it down here. We're sharing with these other flight attendants by this. And we basically, we, we, we rent a bed in the house and, you know, the house is all set up and uh, we pay by the month. Okay. And so they, I had a light bulb moment, obviously, right? And so I'm like, oh, this is like, this is genius. And then he started telling me like, you know, what the pay rate was and things like that. And so we just kind of took that and ran with it. And so that's how we initially okay. uh, kind of fell into the space. So that's that was, like I said, I picked my friend Allison's brain before we jumped on this call because she's based in Orange County, California. And I know for a while she had a crash pad, I think in Boston. She mm. was for Delta and they had her stationed there. And so it's a whole thing you would never think about. But a lot of these flight attendants and pilots are commuting out of a city that they don't actually live in. And so they want a place to, you know, kind of low key call home. It's cheaper than doing a hotel every single night. And so from my understanding, talking to her, she doesn't really leave any personal items there. Maybe she said she has like a little Tupperware container in the pantry with some like oatmeal or dried goods, a little box in the fridge with some basic things. There's some condiments provided and she has her set of bed sheets there. And pretty much besides that, like you take everything with you. Flight attendants are traveling from hotel to hotel and airport to airport. So they travel with things for the most part. Or when you do a crash pad, do you have different people coming into the same beds or does somebody like reserve their own bed for a month? Yeah, great question. Great question. So so a couple of things. One, there's two different kind of types of beds, if you will, hot beds and cold beds, right? So the type of accommodation that we're providing are the monthly, on a monthly basis. So okay. per bed per month. Okay. Now, you know, just like she said, you know, a lot of them will travel light. They may not have a lot of personal items. Um, we've seen a mix in ours. And so we have we have two airports here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, DFW, the larger one, and then Love Field, which is the smaller one, which is the one the Southwest operates out of. And so that's the one that, you know, we were introduced to. And so we started with that one with Love Field. And so in that location, we have some of the flight attendants who've already been there like four months, right? And then we have some that are there a month or two. And then they're out, right? Okay. And then some travel extremely light with very little personal belongings. And then we've had a few that have driven their cars to the location and they park there, right? Because they know they're going to be there. They plan to be there a while. 
Um, and so it, it, it kind of varies in terms of what, what they're bringing and, okay. you know, how long they intend to stay and that sort of thing. Okay. So some people are almost like, I don't want to say they're moving in, but it's they're treating it more permanent. They know they're going to be at that hub for a good amount of time. So they're bringing in a little more with them. And some it's literally just a crash pad, just a place to sleep before they take off for 6 a.m. the next day. Exactly. Exactly. How are you getting people to book your place? Are you listed on Airbnb? Is there a direct booking site for this? Or it's all these Facebook groups or word of mouth? And part two of that question, how are people paying you? Great, great questions. So a combination. So now we have two properties. So once we started, we started with the first property, which was a four bedroom, uh, three and a half bath. Okay. And so that one, we literally booked that entire property up just from word of mouth. Now, here's part of the reason why that was. So for people who are not familiar with kind of crash pads and, you know, how they're outfitted and things like that, they're very minimal. And I mean, very minimal. Uh, you get the basic, the very basic things in there. You'll have a, a sectional. It may look worn down. It might be six, seven years old. You'll have maybe in the entire property, one or two pictures on the wall, like no decorating, maybe a fake plant in a corner. I mean, it literally like just the most minimal thing that you can think of. And here's the thing. In the airline industry, that's normal, mm -hmm. right? That's normal. And so, and this is the crash pad thing has been around for decades, for decades. Um, I just didn't know about it, right? Yeah. And so, but the, the, the pilots, the pilots is, they are accustomed to being in these bare bones, you know, properties with very little amenities. And so when we came along and we said, because we're coming from the STR space, right? Yeah. So we're used to kind of upscale, you know, we like to, you know, level up our listings, if you will, right? <laughs> so so we're used to really providing this experience in our properties. And so we came along and we said, hey, this is what we're providing it with the photos and everything. It just took off. Yeah. And literally the word of mouth, we booked up all 16 beds in the first property in, in less than six weeks. And so then we said, hey, we got to do this again. And then we went out and got a three-bedroom. Now, the first one we purchased, the second one we leased. Uh, but then we went out and got another three-bedroom, three-bath. Okay. And it has been kind of just up and to the right ever since. So so first one was word of mouth. And then the second one, so there's multiple ways. So there are Facebook groups for the airline industry for crash pads, right? Now, some of those groups, they're specific about letting you in. You have to be kind of in the industry, employee, so on and so forth. And then some are a little bit more generic. And then also what happens is flight attendants will typically, and I just learned this out recently, but if they're going to be based, especially the newer ones, if they're going to be based in a city that's not their city of residence, they'll Google like crash pad in their whatever city. Right. Okay. Um, especially if they don't have that network really to, you know, provide them some references and things like that. And so in that regard, developing an online presence specifically with that keyword crash pass can yield some really good results. Right. And so and then the third thing is if you have it in, like I had it in with my cousin at the airport. So if you have it in the airport and even in some instances where you don't, if you're in a location where it's a main hub for that airline, um, a lot of times in those main hubs, like in Dallas-Fort Worth, the American Airlines main hub is there. And, and also their flight attendant training happens at that main hub, right? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Now, and so you can actually get onto the campus. You don't have to have any special appointment or anything. You can get onto the campus um, and you can actually go to the flight attendant schools in campus and you can, yes, and, and then they have okay. uh, uh, boards and stuff in the public areas. You can, you know, create conversations with those flight attendants okay. um, to find out kind of where they're booking, where they're staying, things like that. You would be surprised at how many of them are staying in hotels. Yeah. Extended stay hotels, you know, regular limited uh, service property hotels. So the the opportunity is is as rich for what we do in the STR space to provide a, a, a you know a higher tier product to uh, you know to the crash pad industry. Yeah, definitely. And it's crazy from just talking to my friend, too, that, you know, hotels don't have kitchens. So she said that if she ever did a hotel, she'd spend so much more eating out and buying food and everything. Um, now, if she does a crash pad, there's a kitchen and there's some basic kitchen amenities. She pays for the cold bed, right, which is what you're doing, it sounds like, and reserving it for the month. And the hot bed is like if you're there Monday night, but you fly Tuesday, Wednesday, somebody else could sleep in that bed Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, so you prefer doing cold beds. And so she's able to kind of reserve some of her food and stuff there and know that nobody's touching that bed. And it's so much cheaper than a hotel. I think she was yeah. saying that she paid about 400 a month. Um, what's What are the rates that you're charging? Again, this was a totally different city. I think hers was Boston. Um, what are the rates that's like pretty common? Is it does it change per market or is it sort of the same across the board? Yeah, it's definitely market specific. So that's that's for sure. Okay. Um, so in in our market, we're charging five hundred minimum. Five hundred minimum in yeah. Dallas and love and, and the DFW. Okay. Right. Okay. Keep in mind, our product is significantly better. Right. Than competitors, right? And so and then that's the floor, really. So um, so there's levels of flight attendants, right? So there's, you know, the brand new flight tenants that just got hired on who are not likely at all to be stationed in their senior residence. They're likely to be stationed somewhere else around the country, right? Mm -hmm. um, the more senior you get to the more senior flight attendants, because they call those pursers, but they obviously, they make more money, they have seniority, they can afford to pay a little bit more for housing. And then when you get to the pilots, you know, then that's another level there. Um, and then you have uh, the long haul pilots that fly internationally down to the reserve pilots and, and then the levels in between. And so depending on kind of which level you're hosting and supporting, that number could change but at, at the minimum for us is 500 per bed 500 a month per bed and you're doing that on 16 beds yes 8k 8k, 8K on that one and the mortgage is 1250 on it's crazy and this is basic basic amenities noble so so, so ours are ours are a little bit <laughs> right better on the amenity scale but compared to a standard str when we're oh, all yeah. out here Basically hustling to get 10 different types of coffee makers and like Tempur-Pedic mattresses and all the things and game rooms and murals painted. You're not doing any of that and you're doing 8K a month. Yeah, none of that. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. yeah I, like, I profit more. <laughs> holy, holy shit. Oh my God. Okay, this is genius. How do you give like privacy? If you've got four bunk beds in a room that is eight people sleeping, are you putting up curtains between the beds or anything? Do you provide like sleep masks or earplugs or anything like that? Excellent question. Excellent question. Yes. So the attendants have the have the freedom to put curtains and we have tracks. OK, yeah. so we have tracks and in some of in, in the first property, we actually have tracks and in some of those rooms actually have them installed and it will pay a little bit more for those. OK, but in all the rooms, we have blackout curtains. 
right? Um, so there's some standard things that we put in all the rooms, but blackout curtains, um, there's tracks in there. Some of them actually have partition uh, curtains in them. And then we do offer earplugs. And, and, and here's why. And there's a good, a good question that you asked because flight attendants are working different shifts, right? Um, and so they have different alarm requirements yeah. to, to get up and wake up and stuff like that. And while I thought that was going to be problematic, again, this whole crash pad thing is an industry norm going back a long time. So they're accustomed to this. And so um, some of them will bring their own earplugs. They're used to it. But people have their their phones going off, alarm clocks going off at different times of the day. And so for the other ones that are asleep, you know, they, they want to continue to to be able to rest. And so uh, so we provide some amenities like that. But other than that, it's pretty straightforward, pretty basic. This is blowing my mind. Like, it's just, it, you found like such a good industry hack. Um, what is your tip on like how far from the airport you should be? Is there like a radius you found that like flight attendants are not going to go further than a 15 minute drive or is that even too far? Yeah. So for us, we, I think our farthest is like 26, 20, 25, 26 minutes. Okay. Okay. And uh, no problem. And that's the first one. That's the four bedroom. Okay. And then the other one is about 12, about 15 minutes. Um, and so I think if you're inside that 30 a minute kind of radius, you should be fine. And based on the conversations that I've had with those flight attendants as well, you know, being inside 30 minutes is definitely, you know, it's definitely doable. Um, I haven't pushed the envelope beyond that. I don't yeah. explore that, but, um, they, they are used to, um, you know, some some sort of commute because if they were even based in their home city where, and they were staying where they lived and they were commuting to the airport, there's typically a commute involved. Okay. And you're doing houses. These are not apartment buildings. Not yet. So okay. so we, we are doing houses because of the number of beds that we can stack in. Typically apartments have a limitation to the number of occupants in that apartment dwelling. Right? Okay. Okay. And and with the house, because these are thirty day or more stays, we're not regulated by an ordinance to saying, Hey, we got a per bed you know, maximum, we can, you know, we can max that out. And so uh, so that's why we're traditionally doing houses. However, some senior flight attendants and pilots um, don't mind paying a premium for, you know, their own room or their own property. Right. Um, and so it's just finding that sweet, sweet point of profitability and and what they're willing to pay. So we are exploring the option of doing some apartments. But right now it is houses. Yes. Okay. Allison had told me before this that one thing she really liked was when they had, um, if it was an apartment complex and they had like a pool or a gym, then she knew on her off days there was some like wellness amenities she could do. And the other thing she said was elevators because they always have luggage. So elevators were a huge thing. If you're in houses, are these like multiple story homes where people are carrying their luggage up the stairs? Or are you looking for single story homes where you don't have to lug lug your suitcase up the stairs. Do you have elevators in these houses? I don't think you do, but maybe you'll surprise us. Right. right. No, no, not at all. No elevators. Okay. So, um, so both single stories. Okay. Um, and that wasn't, we didn't plan that. That's just kind of what happened. Okay. Um, and I didn't even think about the, the, the multi two story thing. So that's a good tip. There you go. So I'll keep that in mind, but both single stories, but the four bedroom does have a pool. Okay. So um, so it's very attractive. The three doesn't, but the four does. So, um, so I think you know if, when when you're kind of looking at it holistically, um, if you can look at distance to airport, what type of amenities that you have available, you know the you know whether there's a second story or not. I think when you can put all those things together and come up with a solution that works well for both you and and the uh, agents, then I think it's a win-win. What I'd love to know 
what, if anything, you're doing about like the driving situation. Is it just expected that everybody gets an Uber back and forth from the airport or do you set up a shuttle service or anything like that? Yeah, great. You have some good questions. So, 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 yeah. So, um, right now, um, everybody's managing their own transportation. Now, at both properties, there are individuals that have vehicles of their own vehicles, mm-hmm. and so it's not uncommon for them to shuttle their, you know, their colleagues back and forth as well. And then, of course, the others do, you know, Lyft, rideshare, Ubers, things like that. Right now, I am aware. I've learned recently in the past few months that some. Um, some crash pad owners do offer a kind of like sh- shuttle service and not in this market that I'm in, but up in the Northeast, I think because of weather primarily, they, they, they offer that. And so, um, so I don't know if that's something we'll implement down here. We'll, we'll kind of have to fill that out, but I am aware that that is available in some markets. Okay. Okay. That's good to know too. I know so far you kind of fell into your market, like you said, on accident, but what would be your tip for somebody who's finding a market to do this in? Um, one thing that my friend had pointed out was she straight up said like in Salt Lake City, she gave that as an example. She said she would never do a crash pad because hotels around the airport there are as low as 40 bucks a night. And, you know, if she's staying 10 nights a month, that's the same that she'd pay for a, for a crash pad. And she'd rather have her own private hotel room in that case. Yeah. Um, whereas she said like San Francisco even the cheapest flights, the cheapest rooms she can get are sometimes 400 a night. So in that case, the crash pad makes sense, even if she's only going to be there a few nights in the month. So are you, are there any strategies that you would have on like how to look at that and compare that and just find where, where the market actually makes sense? Yeah, great question. So um, there are different types of hubs you know for the airline industry there's the larger hubs and there's kind of like the middle market hubs um anything in like a a large you know in a large hub market uh would be ideal for kind of maximizing the the per bed per month price so for those who don't know like an airline hub like for example each airline has different hubs around the country that they operate out of. So for example, like Desta, uh, Delta has Hartsfield and Atlanta. American has DFW and the United has uh, Denver, I believe it is. Okay. Um, and so these hubs, like they're strategically located for like the most efficient routing for their flights and to connect passengers and so on and so forth. And so um, if you can find, um, if you're in a market that's near like a, a, a primary hub location for that specific airline, then you're going to be able to likely charge quite a bit more. Um, If you're in like a secondary market that has more of a smaller regional airline, you know, then your per bed per month rate may dip down some. Um, And then, of course, if you're in a market where real estate is typically higher, like you mentioned, San Francisco, um, like New York, or real estate is kind of priced really high, um, then typically you can charge a much higher per bed per month rate. So it's really kind of market specific and depending on what type of hub that you're located near. Okay. How are you managing? I know you said that you do per bed per month. So are you just standard across the board, like the first of the month to the 30th of the month and that's it? If somebody doesn't need it until the 15th, do you prorate anything? Are you like overlapping contracts or everything is like month to month to month? Just that's it. Yeah, great question. So yes, the, if, let's say they're coming in on the 15th, right? So we would uh, prorate that 15th month, but they would be required then to do a 45-day minimum. 
instead of, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 10 minutes. So we'll, we'll prorate the first month, but that full first 30 days, the first full official month, okay. um, that that that's required. So so then that 30-day minimum would go to like a 45-day minimum. Okay. And so that's how we do that. And then we do collect the deposit. We do have them sign um, an agreement. And it's not called a lease agreement, right? We don't want to get into that. But we have a, a our attorney drafted up an agreement that's applicable for our state here in Texas. Um, so we do have them sign a, a guest agreement, essentially. Um, and then that rolls over from month to month. Um, so so that's how we do it. And you do collect IDs, you said? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. My- and, and, and so we, we've done that, the ID collection, kind of across the board for all of our verticals for every single guest. Okay. And so this isn't any different, um, but we do collect all that information on the front end. And yeah. Okay. You're running a way better operation because my friend told me that never once was she asked to provide ID. All they asked for was proof that she worked at the airline, and they said that the proof could come just from checking her social media, that she's posted stories or, like, posts about being a flight attendant. And that was it. And I was like, this is so sketchy. She said that she would just pay by Venmo and just say, hey, I'll be here this month and pay over Venmo. So you're doing things. She never signed a lease agreement. She said she had to agree to basic rules that said, like, I'll be respectful and I won't be too noisy. Do you agree? Yes. And that was it. Yeah. And so here's what's here's what's that that's that sounds crazy, right? And you it, were the first time like such it. a higher level operation already. <laughs> One so um so that is that is true. A, a lot of crash pads are just like that, right? Um, I think the reason we're able to get away with it, there's some things that we do differently. So here's one thing that can be common in crash pads. Crash pad owners will put interior cameras in the units. Mm-hmm. Like that's normal. Like for us in the STR space, that's crazy, yep. right? And so, you know, if you have, so the rooms are divided by gender, okay? So there's female rooms, there's male rooms. So there's all, typically there's going to be more rooms dedicated for females than the males, but the rooms are divided by gender. But if, a, if at one o'clock in the morning, a female wants to go down to the kitchen in her robe and there's a camera like right there, like that's, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. First of all. So, so we saw that because we, we found out through some Q and A, like, what are some of these pain points? That was one. Another pain point they had was the door lock codes. So we use door locks, key, key door locks, just like, you know, a lot, a lot of folks, but a lot of these crash pad owners, that code never changes ever. Mm-mm. And so as, as agents and, and pilots come and go, the code is the same. That creates a huge security risk. Somebody could come back later, they don't even work for the airline, clean the whole place out, right? Mm-hmm. And so so that's the problem. So so we address that. So everybody's assigned the code. It expires when they leave. Uh-huh. They feel safer, okay? okay? So then another problem was the probably the number one problem, I think if you get into this space that you'll have to kind of deal with is... There's always that one person that's that messy Marvin yep. that doesn't like to clean up behind themselves, right? So whether that's in the the two problem areas of the bathroom and the kitchen, okay? Mm-hmm. You didn't you didn't want to wash clean your dirty dishes, right? You wash your pots and pans that you use, or you know you, you use the shower and you left air in the tub or whatever, you know, just normal like gross stuff that you don't have to deal with <laughs> from somebody else. And so, um, so in our uh, in our uh, properties, there's a senior um, person there, and that's usually the person with the most seniority, and typically a flight attendant, maybe a pilot, um, and they're kind of like the house manager. 
Okay. And so we set the rules, but the house manager kind of divides, you know, the tasks up, right, if you will, to keep the property at a level of cleanliness that it needs to stay at. And so when they sign the agreement, they understand that, yes, there's some things that you'll have to do to basically, you know, play your part and pull your weight and keeping the property clean and maintained and everything like that. Uh, we had one instance where there was a messy marvin person and all the other plantains were complaining. And, you know, we had to get rid of the person, you know, because okay. we can't they can't have one person disrupting, you know, the environment for everybody, everyone else. But outside of that, they're pretty much self-managed. We set a cleaner in once a month. Okay. Um, and she does a deep clean in the kitchen, in the bathroom, does a laundry, a linen refresh for all the linens. Um, if there's any, um, you know, turns or things like that for new flight tenants come in, that the, the beds are remade, all of that good stuff. Right. She does some laundry there, too. So. So that's once a month. So then the cadence of cleanings is like way, way lower, which increases your profitability, right? Mm. So there's so many boxes to check once you understand like what their pain points are and then you can solve. Are you allowing people to do their own laundry there? Do they have access to like washer dryers and laundry detergent? 100%. Yeah, okay. 100%. Um, that's in, in the units, okay. full-size washer and dryers. Um, so if if whatever reason they want to wash their personal clothes, their towels, their bed linens or whatever, you know, in between services, then they have full access to do that. Okay. But the cleaner will come and wash all of the bedding once a month. Yeah, because typically uh, at the, the end of the month, that's if a turn is going to happen, that's when it would happen. Okay. With a flight attendant leaving, new one coming in. Okay. Um, unless they come in, you know, mid-month or something. And so and so that's typically when the turns will happen at the end of the month and everything gets refreshed on the empty beds and stuff like that. Okay. Gotcha. So if somebody was staying for like three months, would the cleaner not touch their bed? Like as long as they have a reservation, they just leave it? Good question. Good question. So the way that we do it is they have the option if they would like it to be serviced or not. Some people are like, hands off, don't touch my stuff. Oh, you know, okay. I got all my personals by my little draped area. Yeah. I don't want nobody messing with it. Okay, fine. No problem. Um, so others are like, hey, you know, I'm going to be gone for the next week. When she comes around, can she change my linens, put fresh towels out, blah, blah, blah. So fine. We will take care of that. So it's really kind of dependent on what they're purposes. And are they just like texting these requests or do you have like a formal chat or like a Slack channel or something to manage this? Yeah. So we do, we do manage as part of our processes. We do have our VAs kind of manage that part. Okay. And so there's a process for them if they have a specific request or if it's just a generic. So the best analogy would be like, um, let's say you're checking into a Marriott and they give you the option of putting the thing on the door saying you want your linens changed every other day, or you're only going to be there three days. You don't want them touched. So it's, it's very similar to that. Okay. Do they actually hang a little something like on their curtain or on their bed? If they want it changed or not, or they just tell you <laughs> <laughs> the digital version. Okay. So there's there's a so so yeah there's some communication that happens on the front end, okay. and then we capture that in our uh, in our platform, and then that determines whether they get service or not. So yeah, okay. I'm assuming there are no TVs in the bedrooms. Like people are meant to sleep in the bedrooms. Do you have TVs like in the living rooms or anything like that? Great question. Great question. So the commonality among most of these crash pads is a uh, many of them you will not find a single tv in. anywhere not anywhere oh um okay and and so uh, so that was surprising to me however we do put a pretty big size tv in the common area in the living room um and then sometimes we'll put a smaller one depending on the property put a smaller one in the kitchen area right and so but the bedrooms do not have any tvs obviously you know for okay. you know 
sleeper reasons, but uh, we do put, you know, because people need to stay caught up on current events, news, things like that. And just the idea that there's other, you know, no TV other than your phone is kind of crazy to me. So we do that. Wow. But the industry standard is no TV anywhere. I think it's mixed. Like some properties do do TVs in like the living area, but there's several that don't. They don't have any in the entire property, um, which is crazy to me. But yeah, it does happen. I want to go back to the guest that you said who was like the messy Marvin. I'm calling him a guest. Look, it's my STR brain. Um, the flight attendant who was a messy Marvin, when you kicked him out, did you offer any sort of refund or was there something in the contract that was like, if you do not respect the house rules, you're done, no refund, that's it? Yeah, so for the great question. So for the time period that they've prepaid for that next 30 days, that's not refundable. It's not like if they they check in and they get a prorated, you know, stay. If they have to be put out early, that's not refundable. Their deposit, on the other hand, unless there's some type of damage or something, we need to keep that or a portion of that, their deposit, we do refund that. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So you do collect a deposit up front? Yes. Gotcha. How would you know if there was like some damage? Who did it? Whose deposit to keep? So typically it's going to be around like their area and that sort of thing. Um, we haven't had an issue yet where there's been like, damage in a common area and then like, you know, a who done it type okay. of thing or we got to go investigate. <laughs> haven't had anything like that happen. But if there's just anything or in and around their area, their bed area, that is a cause for us to keep a portion of that deposit, that's where it would come from. Okay. How do you, you said that whoever has the most seniority is usually kind of the house manager and they make sure that people are cleaning up after themselves. Do you have to appoint that person or are is it very self-sufficient? Like somebody will be like, okay, I guess I'm, I don't know, like maybe in certain personality groups, is this like Lord of the Flies where like somebody just like decides like I'm going to be the one in charge or are you guys going in there and being like, this is your house mom, listen to her. Yeah, great question. So we've only done it twice with the two properties. Okay. And in both instances, um, we kind of worked with the uh, flight attendants to determine who that person was. Okay. You know, and secondly, if they were willing to play that role, right? Gotcha. Um, because just because they're senior doesn't mean they want to play house mom, right? And so in, in both of those situations, we worked with the uh, with the flight attendants that were there. And then here's the, the unique thing is that uh, a, a more senior agent could come in later. Right. Mm. And so does that mean that the first one gets displaced? No, not at all. Okay. It just means that they were the senior person there or, you know, uh, kind of based on how long they were planning on staying and their willingness to play that role and communication with the others that were in the house. And so it's, it's a bit of a dialogue that takes place. But we do find that once everybody's in agreement about who that person will be, what their role and responsibility will be, things seem to run a lot smoother. Okay. Right. Instead of I, I think conversely, if we would just say, hey, you're the you're that person or hey, you guys decide amongst yourselves, you know, that <laughs> could that could potentially lead to some issues. So um, what is the situation with occupancy? I know you said you're sleeping 16 in one of these. That's eight bunk beds. So basically every bunk bed you have is bringing in. That's two beds, 500 each. So every additional bunk bed is another thousand dollars a month. What is like stopping you from adding like three more bunk beds, you know, and getting another 3K a month? Like, is there code from the fire department or something? Or is it just you personally don't want to be running like a brothel? Like, I don't, I don't know what is, <laughs> what is to like stop you from just like going like crazy with this? Is it like ensuring quality or like is there actual occupancy rules you have to follow here? Yeah, the main consideration there is uh, the number of bathrooms. 
Oh. And okay. more specifically, the number of showers and tubs. Okay. Uh, because you don't want to, like, like people much, much rather prefer having their own private bathroom, their own private shower tub. Um, and if it's a shared situation, which again, they're accustomed to because they're accustomed to these crash pads. If it's a shared situation, uh, they want to minimize the number of people that are going to have access to that bathroom or shower tub as, as much as possible. Okay. And so, you know, could, and then, and then the second thing to that, the, the close second would be the quality piece as well. Like, you know, could you technically put bunk beds in the, in the common area, in the living area and people sleep? Yeah, but that's weird. Okay. And then, you know, it just kind of changes the dynamic of the whole property. And so we want to keep it feeling like our, uh, you know, our residents, you know, similar to the STR, um, in the the bedrooms is where, you know, prim primarily people are sleeping in their bedrooms or, you know, if they're doing something personal, like they're on a laptop or something, they may go to their bedroom if there's not a desk available or something like that. But other than that, the rest of the house wants to feel like a home and they want to make sure we limit the number of uh, persons per bathroom. Okay. Is there any sort of inspection you have to go through, like with a fire marshal or something, like you can't exceed a certain capacity or it's really just your discretion? Like we think more than six people per bathroom is too much or something like that. Yeah. So because um, we're not in multifamily, uh, we don't have those uh, kind of parameters uh, holding us back in terms of, you know, the number of the, you know, the number of occupants. And so, um, you know, it would be no different that, you know, than the, the personal house, the personal home that you own, you know, if you, if you wanted, you know, Auntie Sally and, and all of your, you know, cousins and nieces and nephews to come stay in your house for three months, like, there's nothing to prevent that, right? Unless there's a strict HOA that says there's a limitation. So so we don't have that sort of limitation on the number of, of people or fire code or anything like that, but we do try to keep it at a respectable level. Okay. Is there any advance notice you require? Like if somebody, when they're booking, is it just month to month renew it? And if they're not going to be coming back the next month, how early do you expect them to tell you? Perfect question. Perfect. So, yes. So it is a monthly auto renewal. And then we need a 30 day, um, you know, a 30 day move out notice. Okay? OK. And so if we don't receive the 30 day move out notice, let's say we only receive 15 day move out notice, then half of your deposit will be lost. So if you want your full deposit back, that requires a full 30 day notice because we need to then get that bed filled again. Right. Um, and so so that's how we do it. And what's the deposit you're charging? Right now, we're charging half of the bed rate. So we're charging so 500, we're charging 250. Okay. Um, we do have people that are paying in some instances more than the 500 minimum because that's the kind of entry level. And so we would charge like half of that rate. I think the most that we're paying right now is either 750 or 800. Um, I take that back. There's a pilot that's paying 900 right now. Okay. And so that would be like a 450 deposit for him. So how are you able to, the base rate is the 500. What are you doing to be able to charge more? Is it a, like fewer beds in a room or um, a better quality bed or a bigger bed? And are these typically twin beds that are being rolled out? Good question. So the so so all of the uh, bunk bed scenarios are twins. They're all twin beds. Okay. The three bedroom, the second property, there is a the master in that property only has two beds in it and has two queens, and oh. so that one is a higher rate. Okay. Um, and then and then one of those beds is that pilot I was referring to, and so um so it depends on how we have it set up, who the um 
you know, who the, what the, what the level of, uh, you know, flight attendant or pilot that's staying there and, you know, how many are in that shared room and if there's an ensuite bathroom or not, because mm-hmm. ensuite bathrooms, those would typically be higher. Okay. Okay. So basically if you're trying to go past that entry level rate and get more from these, uh, from these aviation industry people the best way to do it is you can charge more for like more comfortable beds and like more privacy that's really what it comes down to that the ensuite bath and then we only we typically only do that for more senior level um okay. staff that can, can afford to pay more because okay. the entry level people are typically they won't pay too much more than that what's like i know you've only been you're you're kind of new to this and it's your accidental business venture but in your experience, what is the most that you think a flight attendant or pilot would be willing to pay? Is there like a point? I'm just wondering if somebody's going to sit there and think, oh, I can add all these amenities to make it better. Where does it just stop making sense because they can't, they're they not going to pay beyond a certain point? Yeah, I think I've heard, I haven't experienced this for myself, I've heard from other flight attendants that, um, you know, some have paid as much as 1200 for a private room. Um, okay. and, yeah, for a private role in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, um, in a, in a, in a house basically with an ensuite bath. So it'd be like a master bedroom, ensuite bath, 1200. And, uh, and then the rest of the rooms were, you know, multi, multi-bed situations. So I'm certainly going to test that out most likely, but, uh, I think you can push the envelope depending on the amenities that you have available. Okay. Um, the size of the property, the size of the room, whether it has an ensuite bath, the ability for that person to afford that rate, you know, all of those factors come into play. 1200 I mean, that's because thinking about it, this is not somebody is just moving out into this place. They have a primary residence that they're either renting or paying a mortgage. And this is just the extra thing that the airline does not help them cover or compensate. So that would be my biggest concern is that there's just not enough room for these people to pay to make it worthwhile. But I guess you're filling that void by putting so many in there that it makes sense. So 8K a month and your mortgage was how much on that property or your rent was how much? Uh, 1250. 1250 noble. <laughs> this is so genius. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I think I wrapped up on all of my questions. Is there anything else that you, I uh, maybe I think I actually have one more thing. So you said that you're by a Southwest hub. Are you advertising only to Southwest people or would you, is there anything like that where people don't want to like stay and mix with other airlines or is it pretty much whoever finds out about the crash pad would be fine? Yeah, great question. So we are hosting flight attendants from all, pretty much all the major airlines. Okay. And so I thought initially that, hey, you know, this is a, 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 a Southwest thing. You know, I'm, I, you know, I first got kind of initiated it with Southwest agents, though it's going to be all Southwest people staying. And that's not the case. Like they mix and mingle across grass pads and that's normal for them. Um, So you got multiple airlines represented under one roof. Okay. Anything you want to leave us with? This has been such good information. I don't know. Any, any final touches or notes on this? What are you trying next? You said you might be moving into apartments now. Are you planning to go all in with this or just kind of leave the two as they're running and Maybe go back to government contracts or what's what's your next move? What do you want to leave us with? Yeah, so we're definitely um, looking for more uh, single family properties, which we typically don't have a history of doing single family you know, until this. And so so we're now in the process of looking for more single families to service the market. 
And um, we haven't even really tapped into Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, which is the biggest one, right? Uh, we, we're not even servicing anybody in the proximity of that. So we're certainly um, going to be doubling down on this at the larger airport as well. Okay. Um, but I would just recommend that if, if people have an interest in this, you know, look for opportunities where you can get in front of flight attendants and pilots. And again, whether that's, you know, going to, um, you know, going to one of their of training facilities, whether that's jumping in a Facebook group, you know, whether that's going, there's actually meetups that happen too within this industry, whether it's going to a meetup, you know, whether that's, um, you know, a, a word of mouth referral, your friend, you know, look at for opportunities where you can engage in these conversations to find out like, what are the, what are their needs in your market? Um, and if you have a solution uh, that, that, that that could potentially fit. And really, you know, once you've kind of, um, you know, tested it and you have proof of concept, then it's just like pouring, you know, gas on the fire. It's just accelerating it. And so I just I encourage people to explore, you know, every possible avenue that they have to get into this space. And uh, stay tapped in with me because as we kind of start to double down on some things here, we're going to start sharing some stuff on social media and strategies and what's working, what's not working. This was so cool. Thank you so much, Noble. I will link how to contact you and get in touch with you in the show notes. Do you want to quickly tell everybody what's your Instagram name and uh, maybe like a website to reach you? Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, most uh, the, the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, on Instagram. Just shoot me a DM, but it's Noble, uh, N-O-B-L-E dot Crawford, C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D dot the number three. So noble dot Crawford dot three. Just shoot me a message on, on Instagram. And then, of course, uh, you know, we have uh, uh, a podcast as well, Hospitality Cashflow. I'm going to have to have Natalie on that for sure. And uh, so you can go to hospitalitycashflow.com. Reach me there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Noble. Have a good one. Thank you. I appreciate it. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, we have a host who posted in a Facebook group complaining about the fact that they did not get Superhost status this quarter. You guys probably all got an email yesterday or the day before letting you know whether or not you got your Superhost for spring quarter of this year. I hope you did. If you didn't, it's not the end of the world, okay? But this host seems to be extremely pissed about it, so let's read what she has to say. I am not a super host anymore. All five-star ratings, but there's one cancellation I made since I had some repairs in my house, but I was late to submit the evidence. Is that the reason? Why is Airbnb so against hosts? I just don't get it. Oh my gosh, you guys. This person, what do they mean? What? Is that the reason? I've had all five-star ratings, but I had one cancellation. Is that the reason? Yes, that's the reason. It is very, very clear. When you are given superhost, it is so clear that they tell you that this is the criteria to be a superhost. And one of them is 1% or lower cancellation rate. That is in writing. And I hate this thing that because she didn't get it, it's like, why is Airbnb against hosts? You guys know I have some issues with Airbnb. I do think in some cases they do not take the host side. But in this case, this to me, like, I love to see this because this shows that Airbnb is sticking to something. They have standards for Superhost and this host did not make it and therefore she doesn't get Superhost this quarter. Sorry, too bad. That's how it works. I actually love to see this. To me, this is a sign that Airbnb does support hosts because it shows that they have the back of those who actually are following all of the criteria and that they're not just willy-nilly 
assigning Superhost or taking it away from people who deserve or don't deserve it. So I love to see that they are actually honoring criteria that they have so clearly laid out. Somebody in the comments here did say, what are you confused about? Cancellation rate is the most crucial part of the Airbnb Superhost assessment. Yes, they are correct. And somebody replied to that and said, not fair. Guests get to cancel on us all the time, but hosts cannot cancel. I canceled a one-night stay due to the fact that my AC was not working properly. If Airbnb wanted to take my super host status because of that reason, go for it. Okay, this comment also really annoys me. Guests cancel all the time, but hosts cannot cancel. Yes, that's how it works. Like, guests have the right to cancel. They might not be entitled to a refund or compensation depending on the policy, but... Yes, guests always reserve the right to cancel. Anytime you book a flight or a hotel or anything, you always have the right to cancel. You might not get your money back, but you can cancel. But no, it doesn't work the reverse way. You would be pissed if an airline canceled your flight, if your hotel canceled your stay. And the same should go for Airbnb. You should be pissed if your host cancels a stay. You plan these accommodations maybe months in advance. You don't have a backup place to stay. All of a sudden, you have all these other things to plan with your trip, and then you're scrambling to find a place. So yes, that's exactly how it works. Guests always have the right to cancel even if they might not get money back, you should not have the right to cancel freely. I understand things happen. And this one comment they said, I had to cancel one night due, the, due to the fact my AC wasn't working. To be honest, I'm actually really bothered by that. We don't have a ton of context to this situation. This is just one comment on this thread. But I actually would be extremely bothered if a host canceled on me because the AC wasn't working for a one-night stay. If I'm there for a one-night stay, I probably am there for work or something, and I'm traveling for some important reason, and I do not have time to suddenly go find another place to stay. I would want the host to tell me what's going on and say, if you still choose to stay here... We can refund you partially or call Airbnb and they'll help you find new accommodations or I'll find you new accommodations and refund you fully. I still don't understand why the host just canceled on the guest here and left them high and dry. I still don't think that that's the way that you do business. If something goes wrong with a hotel, I would expect that they're able to put me in another room or help me find another hotel across the street. And I think that that's what it actually is to be a good host and be hospitable and offer better concierge services. If something goes wrong with your listing, take it upon yourself to be very easy to work with. Let them know as soon as you can. Try to help them move. Call Airbnb. Be very willing to give a refund. But yeah, these hosts who are just canceling on guests because something's wrong, why should you get super host in that case? It just drives me nuts because it's very, very clearly outlined what it takes to be a super host. And if you were making it consecutively every quarter and then find out somebody else who didn't actually make it just got a pass, even though they didn't make it, you would be annoyed. But because it happens to you, you expect the rules to be bent for you, even though you're happy that that standard is maintained when you are a super host because that elevates you into that category. You can't have it both ways. I am just super annoyed by people who complain about not getting their super host status renewed. Every quarter when Superhost comes out, I see it every time. There's always a handful of people that are pissed about it. But the entire reason that you want to be a Superhost is because you know that they maintain some sort of standard. And if that went away, you wouldn't care about this anymore. So let's stop complaining and let's fix the issues that we've had. And we will get that Superhost status back by next quarter. If you need help doing that, you've got over 50 episodes of No Vacancy, the podcast to go back and listen to. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!